0: All right, dudes, Pastor Mark here, welcoming you to join me for Real Men Wednesday nights live here at Trinity Church in Scottsdale or online at realfaith.com. We'll try and post it elsewhere, but they're going to ban me because I'm in the middle of a special sermon series called Act Like a Man. If you are offended by that, you need to watch it twice because you need a lot of work. In each sermon, I'll go through the reasons why God made men, why it's good to be a man, and how to be a man that is a blessing to women and children like Jesus Christ, the God-man, who is our perfect example. Uh, This is gonna be a fun time. It's gonna be super theological, super practical, and as always, you'll get a bit of comedy, so dudes, grab a Bible, grab a notebook, put your belt on, show up, get it together. See you on Wednesday.
1: First off, I would just like to honor my father and uh, just thank you for for planning this church, for leading our family and for for blessing every man in this room. Could you just welcome him and uh, join join me in honoring my dad for being the man who he is. Thank you, dad. I genuinely love you and uh it's a blessing to be up here with you men. Um, thank you for showing up tonight. I know um, I'm I'm over our youth ministry, so a lot of our kids this week or last week did not show up because it is fall break right now, but apparently you guys did not get the memo. In real life, you don't get fall break. So thank you to each one of you who is here. Um, before I kick off in 1 Corinthians, I want to give a little bit of a personal background, just who I am Um What my values are and the reason why um, I I think that I have something to share with you men from the Word of God tonight. Um, My name is Zach Driscoll. I am one of five Driscoll kids in our family. I'm the oldest boy, um, so second in the order, oldest boy. And uh, I grew up in ministry. Um, I think we actually have a photo of me as a little kid. This is when I got baptized with my dad on stage. I am slightly taller now. Um, and I'm wearing shoes, so you're welcome, Um, but that was when I was, I think I was seven years old. I grew up in ministry. My dad has been a senior pastor for, I think, 27 years now, and I'm 23 years old, so it's all I know. I grew up in the church. I've seen God save thousands of people, and I truly believe that Jesus is God. I truly believe that God is still working, that he's still moving. And heck, I wouldn't be here tonight. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't be involved in planning this church and building the kingdom if I didn't personally believe that. Um, I grew up playing baseball. Baseball was my sport, big Seattle Mariners fan. And uh, hey, if you watch baseball, which is probably like five of you, the Mariners are now in the playoffs for the first time since before I was born almost. So, so praise God for that. Be praying, be praying against the Astros this week and be praying for the Mariners. Um, grow up playing baseball, love, love sports, been an athlete, learned to work hard from young age. Um, and I am married as well. Been married for a year and a half to my wife, Chloe. I think we got a photo of our wedding on the screen. Um, I met her while we were in middle school. I was in just eighth grade, and she was in seventh grade, and we met at a Christian school in Chapel, and uh, God spoke to me verbally and told me that that was my wife, which I had not heard the voice of God like that before, and I wasn't a creep either, so I waited a couple years to tell her that. Um, That would have been real awkward. She would have ran away, Um, but it was God's will, it was true, and uh, glad, to, glad to be married to my amazing wife, and we do ministry together here today at Trinity. Um, we both were part of planning this church about six years ago and have served every weekend since. Um, like I said earlier, I run our student ministry. I'm our uh, student director for sixth through twelfth grade students. So if you have a son or daughter who's in middle school or high school, I probably know them. I probably hang out with them. And if you have a middle school boy, I probably told him to shut up. So, um, but hey, it's all for the glory of God. And uh, yeah, so that's a little bit of my personal life and. Uh, before we start off, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm part of Gen Z, which is about 25 years old to about 10 years old, and it's the next generation in America, and uh, we've, we have some interesting problems, um, some, some difficult sins that our generation is stuck in, and um, I want to be able to speak tonight to all categories of men, wherever you're at, whether you are a son. Uh, I lead a group of high school guys each week, and there's guys who are 14, 15 years old who are pursuing Christ and trying to figure their life out um, and submit to the Spirit. And then there's, there's some of you who are young adults. You may be older brothers. You may be newly married. You don't have kids yet. You got more time on your hands. There's those of you who are fathers or spiritual fathers. You're pouring into the next generation, and um, you have kids and responsibility and bills to pay and then there's some of you who are who are grandfathers who are who are pouring into not just the next generation but multiple generations. And uh, it's an honor to serve alongside of each of you men wherever wherever you're at in life or wherever God has you in each of these four categories. Um, and my goal tonight is to give a different perspective on the same truth and the same encouragement. Um, and I think it's good to hear some of the time from. A younger man who I have a relationship with Christ and I care deeply about the church and I want to encourage those of you who are younger men that there is hope for a future for generations after you to love and serve the Lord and for those of you who are fathers and grandfathers that that we're not screwed you know we're not done we're not out for the count there is hope in the gospel, and uh, and I truly believe that, and I want to share that tonight. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to kick off in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 21. Uh, Lord, Lord, we, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. I thank you for each one of these men, uh, whether they're 14 or 84. Thank you that they're here, that they're pursuing you, that they want to hear a word from you, and they want to grow closer to you. I pray that uh, this this teaching that you would speak through me, um, that my words would be your will, and that we'd all get something out of it and come out of here as as better men and as real men. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so I'm going to start off in verse 14. Um, a quick overview. In 1 Corinthians, it's written by a guy named Paul. Um, if you've read the Bible at all, you've probably read a book by Paul. And the church in Corinth has some familiar problems to my generation. Um, Some of the things that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians, tell me if these are familiar. Uh, Sexual sin, idolatry, a lack of direction and identity, as well as false teachers, and just flat-out sin over all. And uh I think that Gen Z looks a lot like the church in Corinth and whether, whether or not it's the exact same sins, it's from the same spirit and it's from Satan. And I want to address those and look at, look at, as Paul looks at, what true Christian leadership is and how that can go into the next generation and build a legacy for the next generation. So here in these verses, we're going to look at Paul's heartfelt personal appeal toward the young men and the church in Corinth as a spiritual father. Um, and we're going to focus on spiritual fatherhood tonight. Um, and, and Paul really, he really cares. He, he counts himself as a dad almost to a lot of the men in the church in Corinth. And he doesn't just say this or write a letter, but he actually shows up and he visits them and he pastors them and prays for them. And uh, one thing that I see that Paul does here, he does not idolize the next generation or put them on a soapbox and talk to them like they're perfect. He also does not demonize the next generation and tell them that they're hopeless. He, he encourages them and admonishes them, and that's where we're starting. So verse 14 right here, this first section is on identity, and it says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So Paul here starts off by calling them his beloved children. He is a spiritual father who cares deeply for the church in Corinth and he starts off by giving them an identity and this identity is as his spiritual children and he, he says here he wants to admonish them he does not want to give them shame or make them ashamed but he wants to admonish them which means that he wants to counsel their behavior he wants to be a witness to them, And he wants them to live from the identity of a son that he has given them. Um, and in my personal experience, the majority of my job here at Trinity with students is to admonish young men. It's to look them in the eyes and say, hey, you don't know everything, but good news. There's a God who does. And maybe if you thought through things differently and you took an opportunity to humble your heart, and let me admonish you here, then we could work some things out. Maybe you could be set up for the future better than the generation before you. And um, we have a lot of men, even in this room, who have partnered with the church family and volunteered and put time and effort into admonishing the next generation. And I would just like to thank you for doing that, if you 've done that, I would like to thank each man who has poured into kids and teens and led life groups because God knows it 's not a easy not an easy job to watch kids or teenagers and teach them about the gospel um, and we have a we have a similar problem to the church in Corinth. we have a generation that lacks identity and um, the way that, the way that the Bible looks at identity is that we're supposed to work from our identity not work for it and we have a whole generation that has been told that you can choose your identity and that's a load of crap you do not choose your identity no four-year-old should be choosing who they are and how to live their life God gives us an identity and if we're not children of God our identity is shame If we are not children of God, our identity comes from Adam, which is an identity of sin and brokenness, and that leads to, just like in Genesis 3, hiding. We're ashamed. We don't draw near to God until he calls us his children, until he places an identity on us as children of God. Um, and that's, that's depicted in Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, that we are sons of God, that we are heirs with Christ. Um, an example from my life that has that really impacted me to this day, and I vividly can visually remember it and see it in my mind's eye. When I was in fifth grade, um, going into fifth grade, I switched schools. And as a little kid, it can, be, it can be difficult. It can be overwhelming to come into a new environment with people you don't know, and it's uncomfortable. And I walked in on the orientation day with my dad, and my dad's standing next to me, this little me, and I'm, I'm shaking, I'm scared. I'm trying, I'm trying to put the tough guy look on my face like any little kid does. And my dad sees right through it, of course, because he knows me, he knows my identity. And he looked at me, and he got down on my level, which he can't do anymore because I'm, I'm six foot two and he's not. Um, but he got down on my level when I was in fifth grade and he looked me in the eyes and he gave me an identity. He gave me an identity that I could live out of. And what he said, he said, Zach, look at me. I love you, you're my son, you are going to be okay. You can do this and here's why. He said, you're a leader. He told me, you're a leader. And he put that identity on me when I was in fifth grade. And that was a beautiful thing because I had not looked at myself as a leader. I was timid. Um, I, was, I was afraid in that moment, and I did not feel like a leader. And I, my dad walked out of the classroom that day, and the rest of the day, in my head, I knew. I was, I was going to be okay. I'm a son of God, and I have a good earthly father as well, and I'm a leader. And I can do this, and that. That identity that He put on me changed my action. I could now work out of that identity instead of trying to earn that. I could work from that. Um, and with students, I see this. I see this lack of identity all the time. Whether it be gender confusion or a kid's not having, um, not having a purpose or a lack of confidence. And one example, as I was prepping this sermon, that came to my mind immediately was a high school guy who I've had the opportunity to minister to and he he struggled with identity his whole life his parents are split difficult situation and he came to summer camp with us and it was such a blessing to get to hang out with him and get time with him and you could just tell he's he's shaken. he's got anxiety he, he double takes any answer that people give him and he's timid and he's afraid and he has his shame He's living out of that identity of shame and uh, we're going through the book of Ephesians And Ephesians talks a lot about how we are children of God that we've been given a new identity As sons and daughters of God and I'm sitting next to this kid middle of teaching um, at summer camp and he just starts bawling his eyes out. And I look over at him and I pray over him and, and he collects his thoughts. And after the teaching, I go over to him like, what's up, man, like, are you okay? And he said, "He said no one's ever told me that before. Then I'm a son of God. He said, I thought I could lose my salvation every time I sinned. And now that I know that I can't lose my salvation, that my identity's not in shame, I just have this new joy and I couldn't help but cry and you know high school guys they're not gonna cry a lot it took a lot to get him there he had to receive a new identity and be filled with the Holy Spirit and just say my shame's gone the Holy Spirit's filled me. I have new life. I have hope for a future. I can work out of the identity that God has given me. And something that simple literally changed this kid's whole life, his whole character, the way that he carries himself. He has confidence, not in himself, but in Christ. And he has newfound joy. And that was such a beautiful, amazing thing to be able to take a part in. So, um... What Paul does here, he, he admonishes and he puts an identity on the young men in the church. And I would encourage you, whether you're an older gentleman, um, you, have, you have an opportunity with your words. You ought to be careful because the things that you say carry weight. And you give your children and your grandchildren and your spiritual children an identity. And when you place those words upon them, those have Weight, a spiritual weight that matters. So please think of your words and be be giving life with your words to place an identity in your children and grandchildren. And if you're a young man and no man has ever looked you in the eyes and told you that God loves you and that you can be a child of God and you don't have to live in shame and sin, man, come talk to me after because I would love to pray for you and, and help you receive that new identity. Um, This takes us to verses 15 and 16, uh, where he goes on to talk about leadership. And it says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, um, some translations say 10,000 or tens of thousands, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then be imitators of me. So in this section, Paul is not just addressing them as his beloved children, but he's telling them to imitate him. Um, And one thing that was going on in that church is there were a lot of people who had opinions and ideas and words to say about the gospel and about truth, but the thing that they lacked was fathers, and see, in our culture and their culture, this lack of identity caused a lot of problems. It caused young men's eyes to wander. It caused idolatry. It caused sexual sin. And it opened up young men to darkness that they shouldn't have been opened up to. Um, and these, these sons, in our generation and in, in the church in Corinth, were left looking for guidance. They were seeking Guidance and they had countless guides, but that did not fix the problem. What they needed was spiritual fathers like Paul. And I think today in culture, we have a lack, an utter lack of spiritual fathers. And this leads a generation, my generation, Gen Z, it leads us looking to social media and YouTube and Google and horrible examples of of quote unquote men of what it looks like to be a real man. And we're not finding that in culture. We're just finding ungodly, countless guides. Um, We we have everything from... Men like Andrew Tate, if you've heard of him, who's a social media influencer, who he, he has this persona of being a, a macho man, you know, he can do whatever he wants with women, and sleep with whoever, and make a lot of money, and drive nice cars, and men look to him as a pillar of success. And then on the other side, um, not just the lions, as we would call them, like Andrew Tate, we have. I see it all the time, every time I watch a YouTube video, there's a Google ad with drag queens in it. Like, come on, that's not an example of a real man. That's not an example of a spiritual father that I want the next generation to follow. And we have this this unhealthy balance of drag queens and men like Andrew Tate, and there's no spiritual fathers to actually guide men in the spirit and in God's word in between. And this, this chasm that we've created has left, has left a whole generation without identity and with a complete lack of leadership. Um, our men's director, Mark Sturton, I love Mark, wherever you are, thank you for your leadership. Um, he says this all the time. If you're one of our men's leaders, you know this. Leadership is influence. Leadership is Influence. And if you are a leader and you want to influence people, they will end up imitating you. If you have a son, if you have a little boy, or if you ever had a little son or raised a son, you know this. You know that everything that you do as a father, your child is going to imitate you if you drink coffee in the morning your four-year-olds want to drink coffee in the morning if you like football your kid's gonna want a jersey and he's gonna to want to sit on the couch while you drink a beer and drink from a sippy cup and watch football with you on sunday he will imitate you because you are his father and leadership equals influence which leads to imitation as paul says here and he urges them not to be imitators of andrew tate or a drag queen but to be an imitator of a godly man to mirror christ and to walk in the spirit and the best way to be a leader you just have to start by showing up i want to encourage you i want to give you the opportunity men men if you want to be a leader If you've sat in the back your whole life and said, I don't know how to lead. I don't think God can use me. Just show up. Just see what he does with you. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know all all of of the knowledge. You don't have to have that. Just start by showing up. Just be there. I can't tell you what a difference it makes in the lives of the students that I get to lead if their dad just shows up. He doesn't even have to be a good dad. He doesn't even have to pray for them for it to make a difference. Just start by showing up. And if you're an older man who's a grandpa or maybe you've, you've had kids and, and maybe it didn't go well, maybe they're apostate or out of the house and not following Christ, it's not too late. You can still show up in their lives and you can still make a difference. God will use you. And I wanna ask you the question today, As we talk about leadership and showing up and imitation, how will the next generation know how to be godly men if we never show them? We can give them all the right things to say. We can put them in a youth ministry. We can send them to a good school. But man, if they don't see their dad reading his Bible, if they don't see their dad praying, if they don't see their dad caring for the family, then they don't have any reason to follow that because the words are empty. So I would encourage you, whether you're a young man, you have have an immense amount of time to build your character if you're a young man. There is nothing to do. The world has told you that you don't have to go to work. Go take opportunities, show up, build your character and find spiritual fathers that you can imitate and you can grow in faith alongside. And if you are in a stage of life where you're a parent or a grandparent, there's so much opportunity. There are so many men my age and younger who lack spiritual fathers and they don't even know where to start. They don't know where to ask. I would, I would plea with you that you would reach out to some men and just start by showing up. Um, and I love one part of this that I love. It says countless guides, tens of thousands, tens of thousands of people with an opinion. But what if we just had one father who looked us in the eyes and gave us an identity and taught us, taught us not just, not just the right things to do, but showed us how to do them. And that takes us to the next section of teaching. Um, verse 17 is where we pick up. And here he sends Timothy. He says, that's why I sent Timothy to you, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Um, This section makes me think, Paul calls himself spiritual father so it makes me think um, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this when you were a young man but I would test my father's leadership some of the time and I would hypothetically fight back every once in a while and you know push a couple buttons and it sounds like there's some people in the church in Corinth who are arrogant and uh, anyone ever met an arrogant young man? Another question, anyone ever been a man? Yeah, it's the same thing actually. Arrogance is built in, in a man, come on. Arrogance is literally built in. It's the default, it's the default. Um, And C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. It's that, that since I'm young and I got all this energy and knowledge in my head, man, let me teach you old guys a lesson. I got everything figured out by the age of 12. And then you go into the real world and you find out Uh, you probably should have listened and you didn't have anything figured out. Um, And teaching is such an important thing because Satan is currently teaching the next generation. Satan is already in the curriculum. He's got that down. He's in every elementary school, every public elementary school in America. Satan... He's got social media down. He knows the algorithms. He totally understands TikTok. He's real good with Gen Z and getting them hooked on sin. Satan is teaching the next generation already through media, through curriculum, through pop culture, and outside of the church. And we have a real problem with teaching in Gen Z. Um, There's some stats from Pew Research that show 95% of my generation, 95% own a smartphone, 83% own a laptop, 78% own a gaming system, 57% have a desktop computer, and 29% of my generation stays up on their smartphone every single night past midnight, 29%. I would, I would state that maybe, we have enough information, and we don't need more knowledge. Um, and this, this brings us to a biblical truth. It's, it's wisdom versus knowledge. See, the world offers a lot of knowledge, especially to Gen Z. And all that builds, like Paul says, it just builds arrogance. All it builds is arrogant people without power, just more knowledge, more information coming in all the time. But God calls us to grow in wisdom. See, we have three-year-olds who can use Google, but we have 21-year-old men who can't work. This is a problem because we have knowledge and not wisdom. And to teach knowledge, like Paul says, it builds arrogance. And, and if you know more, it's easy to be popular. If you know more, it doesn't take a relationship. You can just tell people the facts and tell people what you think, and you don't actually have to care about them or want to help them grow in their life in wisdom. Um, And ultimately, it's unfulfilling. You can have all the knowledge in the world and get nowhere with it. It can make no difference in your personal life and we see this with Gen Z, they're the, they're the uh, most educated generation, but we're also have, we also have the least purpose out of any generation ever. So the education, the knowledge, it hasn't fixed it at all. And the difference between knowledge and wisdom is here that the wisdom, it's not easy. It's a lot more difficult to grow in wisdom. And you need, you need the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom, to guide you in wisdom. And that will lead to gener- generational change and regeneration and faithfulness and legacy that is completely different than if you just give someone a textbook or give them knowledge. And that is the difference between knowledge and wisdom that I want, I want us to look at as men of God tonight, that, that there's power in the spirit of wisdom, that, that there's arrogance in knowledge without the spirit. And we don't need more information. We need more of God's information. And um, sometimes, as Paul says here, I love this. He speaks like a father. He, says, he, sa- he, he, he comes to remind them. He sends Timothy to remind them. And if you have a kid, man, they need reminding some of the time. If you ask your kid to take out the trash, you're gonna to have to ask him six more times before it actually happens, because children need reminding. And i would submit to you that that's okay. It's a process, and Paul was faithful to send Timothy to remind them of the truth, to remind them that they need wisdom. So if you're dealing with a kid who's my age who may be arrogant, don't give up on the process. They think they have all the knowledge, Keep praying for them to receive the spirit of wisdom. Keep praying that their heart would be changed and continue reminding them that the only thing that will truly change them is the gospel. Um, one example that I have from, from my experience in ministry, um, planting this church, I've worked in the kids ministry, I don't even know how many hours, countless hours, and I love, truly love hanging out with the little kids and seeing them grow up. Um, and I've served with my wife in the kids' ministry for the last six years. Um, and in our influence, we've, we've been able to see kids in pre-K, kids who have literally pooped on me, are now in my youth ministry. And I, think, I don't think they remember it, so it's not awkward, but I remember it. So in case I ever need to use it against them, you know? It's like, hey, hey, Jim, sit down. Remember that one time in pre-K where you pooped on me? Yeah, we're not doing that again. I could embarrass you in front of everybody, so stop talking. Um, And we've seen these kids grow up. We've seen these kids meet Christ. We've seen these kids get baptized. We've seen these kids serve in the church. And it's such a beautiful thing to be able to, to have that responsibility to teach them and to remind them. And some of these kids, man, they need a lot of reminding. I had a middle school boy who I've known him for over five years. And I saw him every single week from like fourth grade all the way through middle school. And you know what? He needed reminding. It took him five years of me telling him the gospel and other people at this church telling him the gospel for him to finally realize that he needed Jesus. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought, right? Like, it's like I just told him, and this light switch went off one day. And I was more surprised than he was. I've been telling you this for five years, buddy. Like, thank you for waking up and writing something down. This is amazing. Um, And a couple weeks ago, I kid you not, he came to me, and he walked up. He was like, hey, Zach, how you doing? Like, hope you're doing well. Um, Thanks for praying for me this week. I have a question. I have a question about Leviticus 19, verse 28. Um, What do you think on the Old Testament stance on tattoos? And I looked at him and I saw this kid and I remembered when he was in fourth grade and he would scream and cry and tell me to shut up and go away and I just remembered the last five years and now this kid is asking me Bible questions about Leviticus 1928 like we've come a long way and he needed, he needed some, some reminding, amen? And it's such a blessing to be able to be a part of that process. God is so good. Uh, and this, this is where we're going to end tonight, with, with worship. So as we give the next generation an identity in Christ, as we tell them that they need to submit to godly leadership and find spiritual fathers, that they need to be taught the word of God and the will of God and to walk in the spirit of God, we also ought to teach them how to worship. And that's where Paul picks up in verse 20 right here says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And he asks a question. It's kind of a backhanded question here. He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? He says, what do you want? I can bring the wooden spoon and spank you, or we can hang out and have a good time, and I can be gentle with you. Uh, and we have this generation lacking fathers, and they don't understand what a relationship with a God who is a father is like. If we don't have fathers to look up to, we don't understand the beauty and the connection that we have with God the Father, the source of life, the creator and the holy God. Uh, and that leads, that leads my generation, it leaves us in a place where we don't know how to properly worship and in this in this act like men series we've talked a lot about worship and properly properly worshiping god because we're all made to worship we're all worshiping at all times and we've worshiped our way into a lot of trouble Especially in America, we've taken for granted the freedoms that we've had. Um, We've lived in idolatry and sin, and we've run away, like the prodigal son, we've run away from God the Father, and we've also run away from any spiritual fathers that we have. And and I would submit that the solution to this, the solution to our worship problem, is to rally the troops. Because we're at... War. Worship is a war. And man, we're not gonna take any ground by sitting around and hoping that one day our children meet Christ. Hoping one day that the kids of Gen Z would learn how to worship. We ought to rally the troops and bring men together like all the men in this room to worship God, to come together, to raise our hands, to say, thank you, God. You deserve all of the glory. You deserve all all of the praise, and we give you that. Man, if your sons are in here with you and they see you raise your hands in worship, they see you on your knees praying, they see you submitting to spiritual leadership, that will change the trajectory of your family's legacy. It's such a beautiful thing that we get to be a part of that. And Paul says that that the kingdom, the kingdom that we're building as we rally the troops, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, in power and that power that we live by is the spirit of god we are filled as Christians with the spirit of God to advance the kingdom so that we can understand the word of God. And this word of God, it's not just words on a page. It's not paragraphs and lines. It's the will of God written down so that we may advance the kingdom and we know the truth that God wants us to live by in worship. And, and one thing I was thinking of as I was prepping this message um. We often, we often use the term gentleman, And I was thinking about how, how do I come up and talk to the men? Do I, do I introduce myself and say, hello, gentlemen? And I thought, what a stupid, stupid thing. None of the men in here are gentle men. Like, come on, there's men in here who could literally pick me up and throw me through a wall. And I'm kind of scared of that. Um, <laughs> but the good news is that, is that through somehow, through the Spirit of God, Men who could throw me through a wall, I see them in the back afterward playing with kids and getting their son's juice boxes and hanging out on the play set and and hugging little girls and, and putting hands on their wife in prayer and loving the people around them and worshiping together. And I love that. I love that I get to be a part of this church and see men who are gentle, not by accident, but gentle by the Spirit. And I'd say that's real power. That's real power. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus was a perfect example of that. Um, Jesus came to earth the first time. He came to earth with a spirit of gentleness, with love to serve us, to sacrifice himself for a relationship. And he came down to show us, he came down to show us, man, how to worship the Father, how to live a life that serves God and loves people and is a life of worship. And, and Jesus is coming back, if you didn't know that. And the second time, he's not coming in love and a spirit of gentleness. He's coming with the rod. And I don't want you to walk out of here tonight on the wrong side of eternity. I want you to be in a right place with Jesus, with the spirit of gentleness in your soul so that when Jesus returns to earth, we're on the right side of the battle, that we conquer and that we take ground in worship for the kingdom. Because Jesus is coming in power and he is coming to be worshipped. Amen? Amen? Amen. And I have a final encouragement for you guys, and I'll close and we'll we we'll go into groups. Um 1 Corinthians has a final encouragement, but it, it was about kissing one another, so I'm not going to do that one. We're going to go with Romans. Um, and this final encouragement, Romans 1513 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the holy spirit you may abound in hope and i would i would submit to you i think i don't just think i believe That there is hope for the future generation because of the Holy Spirit working in men in this room and men like you who are worshipers, who will tell their sons and their grandsons and spiritual sons that they have an identity in Christ and they will teach them the word of God and the will of God and they will show them how to worship and thank you men for being here and doing that. We have a hope and a future here at Trinity Church. There are already generations being impacted. I have seen some families that have four generations at this church who love the Lord and are serving together. And God is raising up sons. He is raising up older brothers. He is raising up spiritual fathers and spiritual grandfathers in this church and i want to build a legacy i want my family to be a part of what god is doing here i want my wife to be here and see the power of god moving i want to raise my future kids here because i know that god is raising up men who are filled with the spirit of god to go and take ground to go worship and to go impact the next generation so i would encourage you men This church is in good hands. And that's because you are good men filled with the spirit of God. And that's all we can ask for. A community that is led by men who love the truth, who love the word of God, who are filled by the spirit of God to be worshipers by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is the key to the next generation. Thank you, men.
0: Pastor Mark here saying thanks for joining me for this special series of talks at Real Men. Uh, If there's anything we can be praying for, any questions you have, send it to hello at realfaith.com. And if you've got a complaint because you're triggered and offended, please send that as well to hello at realfaith.com. We have got a team standing by to delete your comment immediately.